0: Welcome to the ODA Magazine podcast series. We at ODA wanted to give you the opportunity to dive even deeper into the worlds of the people we get to spend time with by creating podcasts featuring conversations with creatives and entrepreneurs in all different areas of artistry, from designers, curators, and actors to philanthropists, models, singers, and photographers. The one through line for each of the podcasts in this series is that they highlight the work of individuals from around the world who participate in and nourish culture and the conversations they inspire. Our guests discuss how they see the future, hopefully one filled with diversity, equality, understanding, and of course, passion. ODA is a platform where self-expression, imagination, and dreams are brought to the next level and shared with those looking to be inspired. The public has an idea of fashion people being chilly and aloof. But talk to Stephen Kolb for even a few minutes, and you'll find that that just isn't so. Dapper and stylish, to be sure, there is no hint of Miranda priestly style frostiness in his demeanor. Kolb is warm, engaging, and light. And it's immediately clear that he cares deeply about his role in promoting not only American fashion, as the CEO of the Council of Fashion Designers of America, known as the CFDA, but also facilitating diversity in the industry and addressing sustainability. Kolb spoke with journalist Richard Pallardy for this interview.
1: Uh, so I thought we'd kind of, uh... Uh, start at the beginning with, uh, with your career in fashion, uh, my understanding was that you kind of uh, started out in uh, the nonprofit sector, what actually led you to make the, the leap into the fashion world, to kind of feel like a natural transition, what, what uh, kind of facilitated that?
2: No, actually, you know, I kind of consider it accidental um, in a way, um, for a CFA is a not-for-profit, just a different kind of not-for-profit than I had worked at uh, in the past. Um, When I was younger, uh, I never imagined myself in in corporate America. It just seemed a little bit big brother and uh, focused on things that uh, seemed uh, uh, uh,
0: overwhelming um, and misguided maybe, and uh, so I I had set a path
2: out to, to, you know, work. In not-for-profit, and uh, I had done that as a student, uh, you know, as part of a program called Volunteers in Service to America, which is the basically domestic Peace Corps, um, okay. and, you know, and ended up um, you know, uh, working with American Cancer Society for for a while before I, I started working at DIPA and, and then MTV. But um, it really happened um, because of a relationship. Uh, which I think uh, defines a lot of people's house. is people that met and, 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 and kind of these unexpected phone calls. But uh, my colleague at CFA, uh, Lisa Smiler, uh, and I, when I was working at DIFA, which is the Design Industries Foundation, Fighting AIDS, and that was a broad um, design discipline foundation raising money uh, to support AIDS groups, Um, uh, Lisa and I had worked on a project, CFA and and that at the time, Uh, and so she had um, um, knowledge of me, and when my predecessor left and they were looking for someone, they interviewed a lot of people, a lot of fashion people, PR people, stylists, buyers, you know, people who dreamed to work in fashion, and they didn't really land on anyone um, that made sense. There was a selection committee. Uh, CFA members uh, at the time it was Diane, like uh, firstenberg was on. It's Herman, Jeffrey Banks, Joseph Abood, and uh, and so the 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 person who was doing the the, the process, the interview process, organizing the, the hire, a woman named Karen Harvey, who does a lot of fashion um, uh, positions, uh, reached out to me, and um, and so I had um, just left. Working at DIPA, where I had been almost 17 years, and I was working at MTV um, just a year. And I, I had helped them start a foundation called the Staying Alive Foundation, which was specific to HIV needs and youth groups uh, um, supporting global uh, efforts. Uh, we had youth groups on prevention and education. And she reached out to me. Um, but the truth was, I had only been in that MTV job a year. After being at DIFA for, for probably a few years longer than I should have been, and I was really happy with it. It was really um, a, a, a dream job. I, you know, someone came knocking at my door, and I did see if had, of course, because I'd worked on these, these, this project once when I was at DIFA, but it wasn't something I aspired to. Um, you know, really, again, my, 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 my focus was was how can I. Uh, in my work contribute to something that um, either create a change or or, or contributed to social good and so, but you always kind of answer that door and I went into the interview and I, um, you know, I, I didn't overthink it, you know, sometimes when you're like, want something so bad, you're like, it's in your head, but I kind of went calmly into it and I, um, I thought about it um, but I didn't obsess about it And it was a great interview because I I, I really talk not so much about fashion, but my not-for-profit experience and basically the the tenets of what uh, uh, makes a successful not-for-profit. And um, I tell this story a lot. Um, They're all sitting there and taking their notebooks and taking notes. And the last question came from from Diane. She asked me, um, what is your sign? Thought that was okay. That seems like a weird question, and maybe not even when you're allowed to ask someone. But right. I'm a Libra, and they all shut their notebooks and said thank you. and The interview was over, and I went on my way. But I, um, you know, I, I, I was able to, like you always do when you have an interview, you want to send a thank you note, right? Right. And so I was able to through a, uh, a connection I had tracked down Diane's email and you know, I emailed her and um, she used to have an AOL email account uh, and it was back then you could like change the color of the email and she had like this baby blue and I uh, you know sent you for the interview blah 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 and you know within seconds and I learned having worked with her for thirteen years she's a, you know, a very fast and quick responder when it comes to emails she responded back in all caps we love you explanation point. And I thought, okay, I guess I did pretty good, um, cool. and uh, and I was offered the job. But the truth is, what really uh, attracted me to the job was not the fashion stuff, really. Um, it was really the um, CFDA is, is, is two organizations. We're, we have a foundation, just the CFDA Foundation, and then we have a, um, a the council, which is the trade side of, of, of our work. And because I knew there would still be a lot of philanthropy, which is what I had only done prior, particularly around cancer, breast cancer, still around HIV and AIDS, and in other areas, that really pulled me to climbing to, to you know have a voice um, and, 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 and fashion as a platform to do that work. But what I learned quickly, um, and I didn't know anything about the business of fashion, Uh, But what I learned quickly was the work um, that we do in support of the industry really wasn't different than the work I had been doing uh, for uh, social service groups uh, because ultimately we're a service organization CFA. So um, supporting young designers, helping them with strategy, helping them with funding, helping them succeed and, and achieve something is what we do at Day and it's the same principle that you have when you're working for a not-for-profit. And while the reward is different, because one is based on capitalism and in, in business, and the other is based on social good, the the the, the good that comes out of, of, of helping brands is a lot. You know, it's about jobs, it's about um, investment in, in culture. You know, so I was able to kind of figure out, like, what my, you know, what my win was on that side as well. And then, you know, I just celebrated my 16th anniversary this weekend, so, you know, fast forward, you know, that accidental kind of drop into fashion has been, you know, an enormous chapter in
1: in my life. Oh, very cool. Um, Did you always have uh, an interest in fashion? Like, what were you interested in fashion-wise, like, when you were growing up? Well, I would say that the the truth is,
0: I, you know, I was, my mother was
2: not, like, you hear a lot of people who work in fashion, they'll be like, oh, you know, my grandmother would sew, and I would sit at her feet, or my mom would get Vogue magazine, and I would read it, I didn't have any of that, my mother did sew, Um, she sewed really more for my sister than for me, but I would say that, uh, um, you know fourth grade, third grade, fifth grade, I'm going to show you a picture just that happens just accidentally happens to be right here in a second. You know, my mother always dressed me in a way that, uh, you know, looking back, maybe you know, she was kind of a little forward or, or definitely paid attention. I grew up, I went to high school in the 70s. So in the 70s, when you, we'd go back to school shopping and I was really into corduroy um, you know Levi's. I had every pair and every color, right? But like, if you, you, you this is kind of like you can kind of see that shirt that my mom yeah in <laughs> and, you know I mean you know I mean that was the '60s, but still you cool. Know, I, there, there's countless photos that I, I look back on that, you know. But I didn't, I didn't self-identify that in any way other than clothes, right? And and even starting at cfd if you had asked me who Proenza Schuller was, I'd be like, well, wow, it sounds like a science thing that they're writing about versus a brand. You know, I knew the three-bit, Ralph, Calvin, and Donna, um, because they were what defined a lot of, like, you know, the, the, the 80s. So, um, so but uh, uh, I, I, I learned very quickly um, that there's more than those three, and, and, and so, um, you know, even today, I don't, I don't necessarily. You know, I think this is true about a lot of people who work in fashion. I don't necessarily, um, you know, I, I I don't think you'd look at me and say, oh, this guy works in fashion because I'm pretty much in like something navy, solid navy, and you know, white sneakers or. You know, in the instance where, like, it's the CF Day Awards, okay, then I might have a little bit more license to to, to Peacock, if you would. But for the most part, I'm pretty under, understated, in like, a, a solid collar uniform thing, which I think is true for a lot of fashion people. Um, um, anyway, so, um, but um, I love it, in, you know, I, I feel lucky because I'm around it so much, and, and now and, and, and I love just being in the middle of it, and, and, and observing
1: of it, and being part of that kind of, you know, universe. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, how did you find uh, uh, adapting your earlier skill set to the fashion world? I know you said in some ways it was a, a very kind of a easy transition because of some of the similar demands on you. Were there any new skills that you had to develop? You know,
2: I think, you know, skill-set-wise, I brought my not-for-profit and material experience to see a guy and really helped um, uh, 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 structure it as a not-for-profit business versus just kind of this connection of designers in a kind of, um, you know, cultural cloud, right? And that's not to say there wasn't structure because there was... If they was successful, way successful, and really successful before I came on board, uh, I just brought a different approach to it in terms of, you know, business management as the foundation versus fashion as the foundation for fashion. Uh, you know, the skill set really, I guess, well, well, the experience or the knowledge more than maybe skill was, you know, like, what is a factor, you know, what, Supply chain really need you know, what our seasons, what our collections, uh, how are things marketed, distribution channels, all of that stuff. I didn't know, and, and so I had to learn all of that very quickly. And, and, and what I, I found, I and mean, I, I still believe, is that fashion people are incredibly generous. Like no one had any expectations for me to uh, come into a job and, and know all this for Know it quickly. People were patient. People were 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 always supportive in, in helping me learn. So you know, so that 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 was my education, I guess, in the first year. Um, you know, in terms of just like management, because of the personalities that exist in fashion. You know, it, it, as you interact with people, I I think what. what, what maybe this is true in any business uh, or any creative business I was I really think I'm good at kind of again back to that Libra thing that balance uh, of, of how I how I interact with people it's kind of void your ego or check your ego to the side and really play into people and their personalities has kind of been I think what has uh, 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 allowed me success in terms of relationships that I've built and i had and, and, and the success that we've had at CFDA in, 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 you
1: know, in the years that I've been there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so what does a, a typical day look like for you? CFDA has just so many mm-hmm. projects up in the air. How do you decide where to focus your energies at any given moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess pandemic is different than pre-pandemic. <laughs> Uh, yeah. since we've, we've been working from home, um, but not that, that much different. Look, I think it's seasonal to some extent. Uh, uh, we are, uh, an industry that's on a calendar. Uh, so, uh, clearly there'll be, uh, periods where I'm focusing, uh, with the fashion week team on, uh, what is the upcoming season going to look like, um. With the the most recent season, because of the pandemic and the inability really to have live events, we were building our new digital platform, Runway 360, so there was a lot of structural um, conversation and time spent with the team on that. And then, of course, we do the CM Day Awards every year, so there's a lot of energy and time seasonally spent building up to to, to that um, for, uh, with our educational programs, where um, 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 we're doing a lot of scholarships around graduation time, leading into that, I might be focused so a lot. A lot of it is seasonal, but um, a lot of it too is—I is, is, don't want to say it's reactive, but it's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's a quick pivot to something that uh, is important or uh, requires attention immediately. So, again, COVID's a good example of that. In February, if I kind of look at my March and April, it would have been really looking at, you know, can I see coming up in June? Um, what is that program going to look
0: like? But that was put to the side, and in, in fact
2: we pivoted everything we did at CFDA uh, for COVID relief efforts, and uh, as you might know, we did a program uh, called The Common Thread, where we raised $5 million quickly, like within weeks, and were able to distribute um, micro grants to small, um, um, mid-sized companies, designers, factories, and small retailers as uh, recovery funding to help them through those early stages. And so, you know, that wasn't something we had planned to do in 2020, but we did very quickly. And at the same time... We were doing that. We were working with um, allies in Washington uh, around, um, you know, stimulus and uh, the CARES Act uh, to make sure, you know, fashion businesses or, 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 or the size companies that we represent were were, were benefiting. We were working with um, uh, members and civic groups on, on you know, PPE materials. And, how to connect? So that's just an example of, of a pivot, and, and similar to, to the summer where um, um, we saw uh, so much uh, uh, unrest and, and and the Black Lives Matters, we've been really putting a spotlight on fashion and the inequalities that exist. Um, quickly um, um, uh, focusing with the board and with the team at CFDA, on what were you know on new efforts? Or, or initiatives that you know, address those inequalities. We've always addressed those inequalities, but, but there was a heightened urgency there. So so it's the ability to pivot. Um, and um, I would say that, you know, I'm not a micromanager in any way. I'm maybe a micro-hoverer over people, but I, I I let people do their do their things uh, in, 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 in terms of the team. So, you know, the, the last thing I would just say too is, at any given day, I might get an email or a phone call from a CFDA member, um, uh, an editor, or someone who is part of uh, the the system who who works in fashion. So I'm uh, I'm addressing that too. My responsibility is, you know, reporting to the board, um, reporting to Tom Ford, who's the current chairman of, of, of CFDA. So, you know, I spend a lot of time with Interacting with Tom uh, and what is the vision, strategy, um, um, the process, as I did with Diane when she was the, the chairwoman for, for 13 years. So there, there's a lot of that kind of, um, you know, more, more, more kind of like, where, where do, what do we want to do and, and how are we going to get that?
1: Okay. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, how the leadership of the CFDA works? I know uh, Cassandra Diggs was recently promoted. Uh, How do you kind of work on a a structural level? How do you decide kind of who to delegate to and when to do that and when to take something on on your own?
2: Yeah, so you have the board of directors, I think we're 17 board members, uh, currently chaired by Tom, so they're really kind of the oversight of the organization and then Um, as the CEO of the organization you know it's my responsibility um, um, uh, to uh, to manage the organization Uh, and so we have teams um, uh, at CFDA uh, that um, uh, are aligned in, in doing the work that we've committed to do and for 2021 when we did our planning there, there are four key pillar areas that, uh, we identify. So everything we do in 2021 has to touch one of these areas or two or three or all four, and that is the continued COVID-19 relief, um, uh, greater diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, uh, sustainability, uh, and, um, member designer support, right. and, and so. Uh, uh, we have um, Sarah Kozlowski, who leads our educational efforts on uh, uh, sustainability, professional development. We have Mark Beckham, who's our Vice President of Marketing and Events, who leads that. Lisa Smiler, who is really leading our, 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 our membership stuff. And then Cassandra, who's been at CFDA, I believe she told me the other day, uh, in April will be her 20th year, she was our CFO. and. Um, and this summer was promoted to, pre- to president uh, to have more of a voice in the overall and uh, more of a voice in 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 in, in process and the overall direction of the organization, uh, but also to lead our 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 our, our diversity efforts. So, um, you know, I again, like I said, you know, I, I'm not a, a micromanager. I kind of let people do their thing. So. Each of them has that responsibility. I spend a lot of time uh, individually with them all uh, kind of as the wing person to support them in what they do or to kind of push things that I think are, are, are important and they should do. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of autonomy within those roles. Uh, and I think those those leaders, those, those managers also free. A lot of autonomy for the team members that that work for, for them. Uh, so you know, uh, at least in my observation, I think it's kind of this nice structure of, of ownership that um, you know seems see, seems to uh, uh, work well in terms of output and in, 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 in what we've been able to achieve.
1: Great. Um. So you had to uh, adapt, obviously, because of COVID, uh, and especially with Fashion Week, uh, was kind of brought into the digital space in really quite a uh, short order. Um, what uh, about that digital component? Are you hoping to continue once we actually can have you know more you know physical in person shows yeah. again?
2: Yeah, I think I think you I I we have to like, kind of really. Emphasize the importance of what we created for this past season. Our platform runway three hundred and sixty. It's very similar when um, decades ago, informalis was in my job at CFD Centralized Fashion Week. We used to be all the city, and then we were responsible for centralizing that originally in Brian Park. That was a that was a, like a critical moment in the evolution of fashion in New York Fashion Week uh, on a global stage. And. The, um, the creation and launch of Runway Three Hundred and Sixty to me is the, you know, the modern digital version of that. It took a lot of time and, and partnership to, to build this business platform, um, and we're fortunate that um, you know we are working with American Express to really have a robust, um, innovative platform, and it's a, it's it's, it's an open access platform. Um, what what's brilliant about it is that unlike a live fashion week where there is restrictions to time slots and days and limitations and who can be part of that, you have less of that. So this open access, Runway360 open access platform, um, actually had space for younger talent, discovery talent that might not have been, uh, had visibility in, in a live event. And it also enabled us to kind of highlight Creativity uh, among um, diverse communities. We were able to do some um, uh, special uh, programming with um, Black and Brown designers uh, this past season, and, and it's we called it Runway 360 because it's a 360 business toll. So you know, in in, in is that um, it's showing your collection. It's democratic, so it doesn't have to be a Gus Van Zandt film um it can be uh, as simple as you know your friend who's a photographer uh, going on your rooftop with some some of your other friends as models and doing you know a good photo shoot or it could be a movie or it could be a live stream and we saw a real uh, diverse um, um, uh, mix within what brands were doing this last season and then the, the, the great thing is is that uh, the business person, right the trade person then can, Uh, see the collection but also enter into the virtual showroom and then actually do business Um, uh, uh, or the editor can go in the virtual backstage and see an interview with the designer or access the show notes or uh, extra content in terms of the inspiration of that collection Um, and the customer can look at it too because it's you know again open access so the consumer can sign in and she can, or um, uh, uh, showing next season collection, she can check, oh, I love Michael Kors Love 3, and then um, that will prompt uh, uh, later when that look is available, will prompt her uh, where she can shop and buy it. So, you know, it, it was really meant to be this business tool, and a lot of the, you know, all of the four big fashion cities went digital. Um, and had their version of runway 360. And what we really didn't want to do, we didn't want to do like, um, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with those that did this, but we didn't really want to focus on like panel conversations or or, or interviews. We really wanted it to be a business tool, and we succeeded that. And we you know we heard great things. You know, we heard great things from top buyers, from top editors, how it really made. Um, the, 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 the season uh, um, quite seamless and uh, and so we know that we know um, February is going to be similar we, we anticipate um, or we know it'll be digital we see live shows kind of having their big comeback in September assuming the science follows our ability to do live events and what I think is is going to be the future of Runway360 is this kind of parallel life between the live show, the live audience, but also this virtual platform. Designers have been doing live stream for a while, social media, Instagram, all of that has always been part of the you know, the, 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 the fashion week process. But now you've got this structure that can really house it all. And, and we know too, even with us being able to be back in person, budgets, travel challenges, um, uh, are going to impact people's abilities. So, so what it does, it takes the audience, it, make, it makes a greater global audience. So you can reach Asia, you can reach those people in, in Europe who aren't going to be able to be in New York. So you know, I think the two will be this kind of merged ex, uh, experience, uh, that uh, I believe will be, you know, a, a consistent part of uh, a Fashion Week's moving forward. I'm not one that thinks Fashion Week should go away. I'm not one that um, thinks uh, it will ever go away. There's nothing that can replace my show, the tactical the movement. I um, I always say, like back to when I started. I learned most of what I learned sitting next to somebody at a fashion show. That's how I met people, and so that the networking. So I don't think that'll ever go away. But I think this just, you know, the digital runway three hundred and sixty is just um, uh, 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 putting it uh, through a megaphone in a way that is together and, and, and convenient for, for for the industry. So that's kind of how I, I see the future of. it.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, uh, yeah, kind of jumping off of that, do you see, like, the, you know, the sort of in-person nature of, of Fashion Week as essential, especially in, you know, we see brands showing at different times now and at different seasons? Do you see those kind of centralized, like, in-person meetings as, as being essential?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you referencing the questions that Nathan sent over about the Boston Consulting Group study that we yeah. had a lot ago, and you know, the big finding of that was, for some in the industry, they thought it was a little bit of a, 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 a weak finding, but I think it was pretty powerful. Uh, brands should be what's best for brands, and that is true, right? Now, there is something culturally important about shows being together during a defined period of fashion. There's no question about that. It, it creates a voice, a collective voice of New York American fashion when you see brands together, right? It also contributes to the economy of that city, to the industry in, in a way that, that that has great value. But as we know, brands are, are exploring things and doing things that's best for them. We are seeing brands that are deciding to go uh, at different times of the year. We saw Michael Kors show later three, four weeks later, after Fashion Week last season, we saw Alexander Wang before the pandemic going to um, uh, June and December. Um, and so I think that what's great about Runway 360, that actually can be the, the, the frame of American fashion in a way, as opposed to just a date stamp period, right? So Michael will be part, has been part of Runway 360. so um, but. The majority of the designers that, that we speak to, when we, when we do Fashion Week, when we schedule Fashion Week and we make decisions about Fashion Week, it's not me and the team making this up. You know, We're surveying our members. We're talking to the people who are participating in Fashion Week. You know, we're responding to what their needs are. The majority of designers will always be part of that core stamp date, but you will have outliers, but they'll be part of the core
1: because they'll be part of these digital platforms that like one by 360. Got it. Um, Are there any uh, particular initiatives that you're excited about at the moment? I know you mentioned sort of your four core pillars. Are there any kind of uh, specific projects that came out of those that, uh, that you're enthusiastic about?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, I think all the continued work we've been doing building on Runway 360. Um, um, We also uh, did a study that we had started before the pandemic uh, with the Boston Consulting Group, and then the pandemic influenced that study, and we released it in October. Um, It was the second Fashion Week study on how fashion weeks can be more sustainable with a playbook and a toolkit, all on cfa.com. So I'm excited about how that will um, uh, influence the September uh, live shows. Um, uh, our, our, work on, on, on diversity is, is moving along really nicely. And we're going to be, we're going to be announcing more specifics black history month in, in February, but, the core to that work, um, is a, an advisory, a black advisory board that, that we created that's led by Cassandra, but has, um, uh, um, you know, people, Tracy Reese, uh, CFA member and board member, uh, uh, as the lead of that committee, Samira Nazar, who's the new um, editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar, Um, um, the uh, Basama, I always forget her last name, but she's this um, um, uh, CMO of of Netflix, Martin Cooper, um, uh, Stacey Henderson, um, you know, giving you know, advising CFD and really leading initiatives. You know, Tom and I thought it was important that um, you know he and I not be the, the driving force, but that we really needed a, a committee, and they've been doing some some outstanding work. And a, a big part of what they're going to be, um, um, big part of what, what we're building, is basically it's it's a um, a, a a a a program that connects black and brown talent, looking for work, to companies hiring, uh, and, and so um, this will be creatives uh, and also uh, on the business side. So we're, we're framing what that looks like structurally, right, what, what, where, where that lives, and we'll be populating that with, with talent and working to really get companies to commit to um, using this new um, program as a way to interview and recruit and, and hopefully hire people so that we create greater equity within the um, in the industry. That's just one component of what we're doing um, uh, uh, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And the other thing that we are doing that started also before the pandemic and before Black Lives Matters um, is... Uh, uh, Two years ago, we did a study with, uh, with um, called Insider Outsider, which looked at diversity in fashion with PBH. and um, uh, uh, and we are uh, just completed research uh, with a, with with the top um, you know consulting company who uh, and PBH again. That looked at what are the challenges or where is the uh, blockage in terms of the pipeline into our industry and growth in our industry for black, brown, and, and diverse talent. And, and the research is, it, it is really um, um, interesting and telling on um, what some of those challenges are. So, we're going to be able to present that data that we've done by surveying the industry, but again, like everything we do. Um, We always like a toolkit or a playbook that then it can help brands or companies navigate to change uh, 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 within their companies and within the industry. So those, you know, what we're doing with the the work program, um, uh, what we're doing around sustainability and, you know, this study
1: are some of the things
2: that, that, uh, you know, I'm most excited about.
1: Very cool. Um, so I know you had mentioned uh, uh, the issue of sustainability. What are some of the, the challenges we face in making fashion more sustainable? Um, I know. I think, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah,
2: I think, you know, I think that I think the one of the silver linings of, of COVID has been this pause moment in our industry to really look at the values and the supply chain um, because it was more or less shut down. And and what I think has been a conversation that has existed for for a while now, you know, be more sustainable, be more sustainable, less product um, delivery closer to use, um, investment in craftsmanship and quality, um, uh, accessibility. Um, these have been chats, but you know, with the pandemic, it's really required people to. Brands, companies, the industry, to actually—excuse me—to actually take those those conversations and, and, and put them in, into action. So, I think that you know, with sustainability, what what, what we're seeing, and, and I think that you know, a lot of the key um, um, for us has always been about material, right? We've got uh, I a mean, materials index at CFJ.com. We have the most comprehensive um, resource hub on sustainability on CFJ.com. Uh, toolkits again playbooks again um, a very extensive materials index I think that's core to uh, how the industry shifts and in the sourcing of it but I think people are are, are starting to slow down um, I think we're going to see fewer collections fewer deliveries um, and also um, um, quality um Obviously luxury fashion is luxury fashion. So you're always gonna see that um, at, at, at a price, right? But I think brands are recognizing that there is an opportunity in the consumer base to to have have, have more um, broader pricing. But then on the on the on the on the fast fashion side, you have brands like Zara, who we recently did a um, a small project with Vogue and Zara that came out of the CFA Vogue fashion pond. Um, uh, designers that participated in 2018, you know, as part of that process, they all had to create a look using um, uh, sustainable fabric, and in and, and, and a handful of them, actually worked with Zara to produce that. So you see those brands now seeing that their customer base is not just happy with quick, fast, and cheap, but that they want to see more value around. The impact uh, uh, of, brand, uh, of what they're doing, and that's just true with H and M as well. So you see those brands evolving. I'm not saying that they're where they should be, um, um, but um, you see it, you see that kind of dynamic, um, um, you know, uh, happening, and 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 so I'm optimistic about that. <laughs>
1: Are there any uh, any particular problems caused by fast fashion that you think kind of uh, have some at least accessible remedies to them right now? Um, like, Are there like any particular like supply chain or even just uh, like labor issues? No, I think it's
2: just too, too much stuff, right? Too much stuff. Like how many white t-shirts does somebody need or you know, how much of anything they need? And so, you know, what happens to all that stuff? new stuff comes in and so you know I think a lot of brands I think the, the, this idea of, of returning things uh, within stores that allow for um, 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 credits or discounts uh, and then and that you know is the you know the, closes the circle a little bit um, um, I also see you know companies that are you know really succeeding in this in the used market, secondhand market. So instead of things going into landfills, they're getting into um, um, uh, sites. A lot of that has been more uh, at, at the designer level, but you're seeing brands, that you're seeing platforms too that are, are at uh, you know, doing that as well for for um, lower priced clothes as well. So you know, I, I think this whole idea of circular fashion is really um, resonated. And so it's how do you how do you extend uh, the life line the lifetime uh, of, a, of a product, whether that be returning for credit, resale, um, other use. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, and I, I you know I never knew this. Uh, uh, you know, like I'm going to donate something, say to Housing Works or, 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 or Goodwill, and you know often it's not sellable. And often what they'll do is that'll get sold to you know, bulk companies that then uh, use maybe old t-shirts, which is then recycled for um, uh, you know, stuffing with inside car seats or something. And so it's, it's, it's just this idea of like really refining and investing in the circularity of fashion so that the lifeline lives and keeps going on.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. How does that kind of, uh, well, I th- think probably you touched on this a little bit, but how does that kind of square with, um, like, the I- issue of accessibility? I think, you know, some of the reason fast, fast fashion has really taken off is that people want um, good design, or at least something that, you know, adequately mimics good design at, like, at a low price point. Um, so how do, like, how do we kind of communicate to people that uh you know and that while that that's understandable it does it does cause problems
2: yeah I mean I think it's I think it's partly a, a
1: generational
2: consumer thing you know, you know that, that someone who's in business responds to what consumers want and so we have we have a generation and not so young anymore that are really have have, have spending power that are, are, are looking to companies to um, have values and, and product that align with their beliefs. So, you know, a lot of that just comes from consumer spending and, and what, what is expected, right? And as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I see these, these big fashion companies understanding that and beginning to develop um, a product that is more environmentally friendly, that has sustainability uh, core uh, to, to, to the process, uh, as well so I think it's just really driven by, by consumer and, and, and conscious and, and, and we see that we see that happening and, and, and for brands to, to survive they need to they need to uh, address what customers want
1: oh, that makes sense are there any uh, particular voices that you still feel are represented? I know you uh, you mentioned your um, black and brown uh, design co- uh, advisory council. Um, are there are there other voices that um, we kind of haven't gotten around to even like starting to address their underrepresentation?
2: I think it's I think it's pretty much reflective of, what, of voices that are underrepresented in society. I still think we need to. Um, elevate uh, women in our industry uh, um, you, know, you look at you know the, the successful uh, uh, designers at big brands and there's a lot of men there um, uh, and uh, a few years back we did another study of our studies called the glass runway uh, and we looked at you know the gender uh, ceiling for women in fashion and we did it with glamour magazine again with the toolkit and action plan. But um, uh, I think, you know, women need to continually be uh, celebrated. Uh, and also, I think we need to make sure that, you know, we, we, we're, we are, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, vocal uh, around harassment and issues. Uh, we, we have, for, for a long time, we have something called the CFDA Health Initiative, which has really been more about model health uh, and well-being, but uh, we've expanded that in recent years just to create safe space for for, 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 for women. Uh, and so I think women. Uh, I think any any community that, that has a voice, uh, whether that be the LGBT community, uh, uh, specifically you know trans people, uh, Latinx, uh, Asians. I mean, I think we you know we we've seen so much. Um, Focus on you know from Black Lives Matters and rightfully so. It was a time, finally, a time where we were able to pay more attention to that. But you know, a a lot of our Asian friends and colleagues dealt with discrimination, particularly around COVID, and 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 so we need to we need to you know we need to give space and, and and celebrate all voices. And we do that fairly well. I mean, I I one of the things that if you haven't, you know, cfa.com or social channels, we really uh, have built our communication strategy, not as an institution or an organization, but as an editorial voice. And so Black History Month will be something. June, we're always doing something on gay Pride. I think uh, Hispanic Heritage Month is in the fall, doing a series uh, on Latinx designers that we've done um, Great panels and conversations with with our um, you know Asian designers and editors. So we really want to um, uh, uh, like allow uh, uh, a voice for um, of most communities. In our scholarships, we're in the second year of, of, of a partnership with Gucci called the Gucci Chainmaker Scholarship, specifically targeted towards. Um, disenfranchised uh, communities, and uh, two really talented black kids last year uh, benefited from it, and this year it's focused on a female um, uh, recipient, and also developing a new scholarship within our scholarship program uh, that uh, uh, looks at social justice, uh, looks at uh, kids that are, are, are focused uh, on issues around social justice and in, in, in their creativity. So, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't think we can ever uh, sit back and say, oh, everybody's got an equal voice. I think that work continues and and, and and we continue to, to, to um, uh, feel responsible uh, uh, in, in creating voices in, uh, in space for them, for, for people. Yeah, that,
1: that issue of a uh, uh approaching representation can, for different groups can be, can be kind of tricky. Are there any lessons that you've learned as you've kind of helped to spearhead that movement or anything that, that surprised you that came out of that work?
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess for me and, you know, and it's something i thought about a lot and I've felt a lot this year is, you know, I'm a white guy. Um, I'm gay. Um, I come from, um, you know, blue collar family. Um, to school on student loans, and, and, and it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of time I, I didn't have access, right, you know, I had to figure it out, but I did have white privilege for sure, right, and so, um, you know, as as you kind of look at these issues, you have to, you know, acknowledge your own journey is not the same, even though you know my 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 journey might not have been. As easy as it is for someone that uh, you know had had more relationships or connections, you know, um, it's it isn't the same as a journey of someone who's had it more difficult than me because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity. So you know, I've really had to step back and just kind of own the fact that you know I do have this this disadvantage um, 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 that has brought me to where I am, again, you know, it was my journey, and it's different than others, and acknowledging other people's journeys, and I also had to learn, you know, that this is a, this is a, this is a, um, I don't know if the right fraud, if that's the right word, this is an issue that, you know, is complicated and scary um, to talk about. I've talked about this with Brandis, who is the founder of Harlem's Fashion Row, who I know for a decade, has supported both personally and, and through CFDA and you know talking about race particularly you know with, with people of different race or ethnicity is uncomfortable for white people and, and and if it's not uncomfortable then maybe that conversation isn't really a valid conversation so you know I, I'm often in these conversations where I'm trying to like make sure that I'm, 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 that what I feel, is being expressed in an authentic way and in a supportive way. And I also have to recognize that sometimes people will look at my journey or look at me and might not know what that is. And they might have a judgment on that, right? And so I can't let people's opinion, if they feel something about me, emotionally shut me down in a way to stop me from wanting to do the right thing or to support groups or to do the work. So, I mean, that has been, you know, definitely something that has been part of, you know, 2020 uh, and obviously 2021 and, and moving forward is just this idea of, of, of like what's your journey versus someone else's journey and, 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 and letting people, you know, journeys define who they are, but also not letting someone's like wrong opinion of me shut me down emotionally and not be part of the solution.
1: Um, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the graduates of the the network program? Uh, what are what are they doing now, and how can uh, how can consumers reach out a, and support them?
2: Well, I, I wouldn't say not so much network, but if you look at any of our young talent programs, like so have the Fashion pub,
1: Okay
2: Elaine Gold our Launchpad, our incubator. You know, we, we've had some. You know, we've really defined a generation of, of American. Alan through all that work, you know, the last three winners of CFA Love Fashion Fund were, were, were Kirby Jean Raymond from Pierre Moss, uh, Christopher John Rogers, and Kel Farm. You know, all three of them, you know, leading a modern approach to, to, to American fashion, not just aesthetically, but uh, um, from, from, from a business business side. If I look at someone like Emily Bodie, who's been through a number of our Young Talent products. Uh, programs, you know, really, uh, uh, signature men's, uh, uh, line, you know, based again on, on circularity, right. And just very, very unique and, and really successful. Someone like Aurora James, who brother Valdez has started the 15% pledge, um, to get retailers and, and companies to commit 15% to, to black talent within their offerings. Um, you know, so there, there, there are a lot of, a lot of designers that I think um, uh, uh, have come from, from, from those programs, and you know, and and I, uh, I would say the best way to really, kind of really connect to to a lot of that talent that we're supporting is just following CFDA on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, going to CFDA.com, signing up for our weekly newsletter because we're, 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 we're constantly um, telling the stories. And also, um, going subscribing and, and, and joining Runway360, which doesn't cost anything because there you're going to see those designers and you're going to see a new generation that's coming up. Uh, uh, so it, it's really just, you know, like, look, fashion is, for someone who doesn't work in fashion, there's a lot of content that, and information that someone can access and really learn and, and feel connected to short of actually being within the industry. And Those are just some of the ways that I think you can do that.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, <clears throat> I, you know, we touched on some of the sort of uh, larger societal issues that uh, intersect with fashion. Are there um, any concerns that you hear from designers that are much more specific to the fashion world? I
2: think... I think it really comes down to business, and, and, and fashion is a business, and so I think really what, what what it's all kind of connected is distribution, selling, like how do I sell? Um, um, you see you know, big mega e-retailers e- like Amazon, who's been very supportive of CFA, and we've done some stuff with them uh, uh in, in terms of creating uh shops for for, for for young designers but it's it's figuring out how to sell products and, 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 and we see the big brick and mortar retailers particularly in, in, in the midst of the pandemic um uh, we see the the traffic slowing down there um, uh, how does one uh, reconcile one's own e-commerce with, with, with a multi-brand e-commerce um uh, company and so that to them is really kind of where people are um, brands are, are, are really uh, uh, experimenting so uh, I was kind of talking about a little bit earlier you know, fashion is traditionally spring fall and then you have pre-collections right um, resort or pre-fall as well um, But some brands are saying like I'm not doing that anymore I'm, uh, I'm going to do uh, Calling seasons as opposed to like spring twenty twenty one collection two collection three collection four uh, doing just one collection a year versus two or four collections a year so I think it's it's really the distribution and, and, and the product and how that product is is, is sold that you know it, people are trying to figure that out and and and, and people are figuring it out. And that's where where, where, where people need the, 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 the most help. You see things like, um, you know, manufacture on, on, on demand, where you have certain brands that you order uh, a top, uh, and it's not like, you, like the designer's already made 500 of those tops and holds the inventory, but she can then, you know, make it click in two weeks, one piece, pricing is still affordable, and then get it out. So, you know, it's the production and, 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 and the distribution and the selling that, I, I, I think, is really what people are are, are, are innovating around and in, in trying to figure out uh, a new way to do that. Um, just quickly jumping in, uh, Stephen, are you still good on time? Sure, I can you know, I think we're towards the end. Yeah,
1: we are. I think we have maybe like four, four or yeah. five more.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I can keep doing it. Okay, okay, great.
1: Great, yeah, thank you. Um, so when the CFDA partners with design con- councils in, in other countries, uh, what are some of the differences and priorities and disagreements that you find yourself trying to to reconcile?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, like i mentioned, I've been to CFDA a long time and maybe I am the lo- longest, um, tenured head of a fashion council. I think I am. Um, and so I've worked with, um, other, um, Council uh, uh, leaders, um, but this could, this 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 current group uh, is amazing. Um, Carlo in Italy, Caroline in the UK, and Pascal in, in France. We've got a very close relationship. Um, we interact regularly. Um, we talk about issues like sustainability, model health, and so there is a lot of alignment in, in terms of what the industry. Uh, uh, needs to be globally and spent time during the pandemic uh, on kind of shared um, um, experiences and, and, and approaches uh, in each of our countries. So it's quite positive. I wouldn't say there, there's any differences so much. I mean, each is different in their in their um, longevity. You know, Paris obviously is. is, is, is is rooted in in a long historical uh, uh, business America maybe being the the youngest of them all Um, you know I think that not differences but you know we each want to stake out our dates during fashion week and so that has always been you know where where we have to spend some time negotiating and talking and, and making sure that we're aligned so that the experience for the, for the folk that actually go to fashion shows is smooth and not disrupted by uh, disorganization on, on, our part.
1: That makes sense. Um, are there any, uh, new designers out there, uh, whether they, uh, worked with CFDA or, or came out of their programs or not that you're particularly interested in or excited about right now?
2: Um, yeah I mean there, there, there is a lot of, of, of designers um, um, you know uh, I mentioned Christopher earlier uh, Christopher John Rogers I think you know he, he he's, he's, he's a star in a way that uh, uh, I'm excited to see this see him, him grow um, I think um, um, I think uh, Reese Cooper who uh, was one of see if they go fashion funders from the past based in LA is, is great in, in doing some, some, some really cool things. Um, you know, uh, I would just say those two, two as an example, um, sure. uh, uh, would be, you know, good examples.
1: Okay. um, are there any new directions in design that intrigue you, either kind of in a functional or aesthetic kind of trend sense?
2: Look, I think the idea
1: of uh, you know this this you know, uh, I
2: don't know like fashion's a pendulum, right? And so I don't know we we've, we've seen a big shift into sweatpants and casual clothes as people are working from home, um, but uh, much like. You know the, the Spanish flow in the early 1900s. We came out of that into kind of like the Roaring Twenties, where where people were ready to get dressed up again. So I think the pendulum from you know this idea of casual dressing will will, will switch back. Um, 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 people are going to want to get dressed, but I think we I think we've learned that comfort and, and, and is important, and and I think that that will that will be something. In terms of an aesthetic or a style that that will influence fashion for, for, for a long time um, I think one thing that i found I, I, interesting to see really bubble up um, um, Tommy Hilfiger's done a great job on this is kind of adaptability you know clothes for, 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 for people who are physically challenged uh, and so I think that is, is an underserved uh, market and community and people who deserve to be able to uh, 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 have access to great talent through our, one of our programs called Launchpad, there's a designer uh, called Lucy Jones, and we were able to fund her. She, she realized that people who, who uh, use wheelchairs um, uh, had, had little access to accessories, right? Because if you're in a wheelchair, you need to have a bag connected to the chair, but it was all like medical supply company selling not very nice things. And she really invested time and idea to these really kind of cool design, functional product that uh, uh, you know supported or, or someone in a wheelchair could feel good about. And so I think there, I think that's an interesting I think that's an interesting market and 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 just you know just the thread that we've been talking about this idea uh, 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 of clothes that you know, uh, have conscious uh, uh, in terms of like what their impact is uh, to um, um,
1: that, that planet. What kind of uh, clothing, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, what kind of clothing are you personally drawn to either kind of for yourself or in a, a visual sense uh, and that you like seeing on others?
2: Okay. I've always decide- described when people ask me my style, I've always described myself as a, you know, disheveled American, um, because I work for the CFA, so I should be wearing American designers, which I do. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, there's always something like, like a stain on my lapel, or i missing, or like the hem of my pants hanging low. Um, it's just, you know, it's just who I am. Um, uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. But, <laughs> Um, it is who I am, you know. I, I'm, I'm again most, most comfortable like in, um, um, you know, a uniform, um, uh, something um, that is solid. Blue is my color, you know. You know I, I love navy. Um, I've got some really beautiful uh, suits. You um, know, I love a suit. I think I've been worn a suit a lot in the last nine, ten months, but. Yeah. I uh, uh, had some really beautiful um, suits. Carlos Campos uh, uh, is a CFD member, Paul Marlowe, another CFD member, unfortunately, now that's some really beautiful blue uh, custom suits that uh, uh, they need. Uh, and you know, so just like, you know, a classic uh, uh, suit fitted, um, not overtly shrunken, but tailored. And a white shirt is is just kind of my my, my go-to. I love um, eyewear. Um, you know, when I started at CFJ, one of our members, Salima Salon, uh who's an eyewear designer, I, I got like my first pair of glasses down at like some discount shop on Canal Street, and she's like, that's not gonna work if you work in fashion. So, you know, since then I I feel like glasses is a cool way to change out a look blue suit, you can put on a different pair of frames and really um, uh, 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 mix it up. So that's my personal approach, approach to fashion, maybe an understated uh, uh, approach, but one that I'm most comfortable in. And I often think reflects my casualness in a professional way.
1: Do you like uh, seeing uh, different types of clothing on other people, or are there any things that you just kind of like brighten up when you when you see someone wearing?
2: Well, I, I love it, and, and,
1: and you know I I I
2: I think um, you know I love brands. I love three S four or area or Rodarte, Mark Jacobs. I mean, I love these kind of creative thinkers that. Really bring something editorial or 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 magical in a way to to collections. I love all of that. To me, that is the core of what drives fashion. Maybe on the a norm core. Would you call it norm? Yeah,
1: I think I think that's what they say. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but you know, for me, I definitely you know to be able to see those kind of clothes and to see them styled or people wearing. Designers, CFD members that really kind of push boundaries. I just love that. I think it, I think I think it's amazing. But look, ultimately, you have to wear what you're comfortable in. Right? People always say to me because I work in fashion, like, well, you know, like, you know, what should I wear? What, what, you know, what, what's the best style? It's like you gotta wear what you feel good in because if you don't feel like, if you don't own it and feel comfortable in it, you're gonna project that to someone. And so you have to just feel
1: good in what, what you wear and on what you wear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then so finally uh, I want to end on a, a light note and I, I was uh, charmed to learn of your penchant for owls. Um, I'm a fan of owls as well. What led you to begin collecting them?
2: Right, well, I hesitate to answer this question because every time I talk about owls in an mean, interview, you know, I end up with more owls in my collection. <laughs> but uh, but you know, look, here's the thing about owls. It's like I was in Florida a long time ago uh, with my brother, and we were taking a hike. He lives in Gainesville, he works at the University of Florida. We were on this beautiful nature preserve, and I was, it was me, him, and my husband, Jay. And, uh, and I had never seen an owl, a live owl. And this was daytime, and we're walking, and just right looking up, there was this this owl, this huge owl. And it was, like, phenomenal kind of experience, and it just struck me. And so we had driven to Florida, and then uh, I love garage sales, flea markets, estate sales, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, uh, And so driving back, we stopped uh, at a flea market space, and there was uh, an owl owl and I bought the owl and then we got back to Pennsylvania where I have a house and I went to a garage sale and some old lady was selling her owl collection so I bought some owls and then my friends would come over and see that oh he's got owls and then I started getting owls for, for, for gifts and then I started to go on eBay and, and, and look at owls and you know get into like I've you know, got some beautiful like Rosenthal net or mid-century owls or, or things that were um, you know, more, more, maybe collectible. And then Ben Yeager wrote a story about my owls in the New York Times, and then someone else did. And, and so you know, fast forward, I've got like over a thousand owls. Man. Wow. Um, however, I'm not some crazy like gray-haired lady but they're <laughs> all around the house. There, most of them are at this point are just kind of packed up in, in boxes. But you know, I, you know, I have the ones that are more aesthetically collectible uh, out Uh, and so really it was just this kind of connection to nature that I made uh, on this hike and then just serendipitously you know stopping and buying one and then you know then it became then it became a thing and like a lot of things that we just like I, I just became obsessive with it but I slowed down a lot um um in and really kind of focus, because, like, I don't really need another figurine made in China. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, so, you know, it's like, and I always, like, wonder what will happen when I die. Like, you know, where will, where will they all go? Like, I guess I'll be dead. So
1: we'll really die, I won't go. Yeah, I'll, I'm in uh, Chicago, and it doesn't happen every year, but every once in a while, uh, snowy owls will show up on the lake. Um, and so I've gotten a chance to see like actual, like yeah. snowy owls in the wild. It's pretty spectacular.
2: When, when you see them in nature and I've seen from that trip, I've seen them, um, again, it's just, it's just incredible. It like, really is. You know, so that, that's how I became an owl clip.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, that's, uh, in terms of questions, all I, all I have for you. So thank you so very much for, uh, yeah. for your yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: just email me if you have
1: any further um, follow-up or clarification. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you so much. All right,
2: right. thanks a lot.
1: All All right, right. take care. Bye.
0: Don't want to miss an episode of the Oda Podcast? All you have to do is download our app in the Apple Store or visit Oda's Spotify account. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. And don't forget to leave a review and tell your friends about the new Oda Podcast.